We turn in sacred scripture to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, beginning at verse 31, and we read this in connection with Lord's Day 52 and its treatment of the sixth petition. We focus especially on the first half of that sixth petition, lead us not into temptation. And we see in the life of Peter, in the In what we read here, how Peter did not heed Jesus' warning, and he was not praying this petition, and he experienced a great fall. Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold... Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter... The cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said, Nothing. Then said he unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you, that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. And he came out and went as he was wont, as was his practice as he was accustomed to do, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what would follow, 
They said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves? When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. It's on the basis of that passage of Scripture and on the basis of many passages of Scripture that we have the teaching of Lord's Day 52 of the Heidelberg Catechism found on page 27 in the back of the Psalter. And we just read question and answer 127 this morning. Which is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is, since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand a moment, and besides this, since our mortal enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, cease not to assault us, do thou therefore preserve and strengthen us by the power of thy Holy Spirit, that we may not be overcome in this spiritual warfare, but constantly and strenuously may resist our foes, till at last we obtain a complete victory. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this sixth petition that we look at this morning is closely related to the fifth petition we looked at last week. And that's because both the fifth petition and the sixth petition have to do with our sin. Together, the fifth petition and the sixth petition have to, to, have to do with the two different aspects of our sin. As we saw last week, the fifth petition is a prayer for the forgiveness of sins. In the fifth petition, we confess that we have sinned against God and we are sorry for our sin. And we are asking God to cancel our debts, to blot out our sin, to not hold our sin against us anymore. Do not impute to us poor sinners our transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us 
And don't impute them to us for the sake of Jesus Christ and the death and suffering He endured on our behalf. So last week we saw that our sin is a debt that must be forgiven. Now as we move on in prayer from the fifth petition, we are still deeply aware of just how miserable our sins are. And we are still filled with such hatred over our sins so that now as we move on in our prayer, we immediately pray that we might also be preserved from sin in the future. We immediately plead with God that by His grace, He preserve us from falling into sin again. That's the sixth petition. Having gone through the sorrow of having to confess our sin and ask forgiveness, immediately in the sixth petition we pray, Lord, I don't want it to happen again. So in the fifth petition, we are praying for the deliverance from the guilt of our sin. Catechism students, the guilt of our sin. And here now in the sixth petition, we are praying for God to deliver us from the power of sin and the pollution and corrupting influence of sin. In the fifth petition, we pray that God would justify us, that He would declare us righteous, that He sees us as righteous in Christ. He cancels our sins. He justifies us. And now here in the sixth petition, we pray that God might sanctify us. He might make us holy, cleanse us, and keep us from falling into sin again. And these two petitions go together. Just as much as justification and sanctification always go together, and always in that order, justification first, first, sanctification following, so it is here in the Lord's Prayer. The fifth petition, and then the sixth petition. The one who truly prays for the forgiveness of sins will also be the one who truly yearns for the strength and the grace needed to put that sin away and resist it and be preserved from that sin. That's what we look at this morning. And through the painful experience of Peter, we're going to see that this is a petition that we so desperately need because we are so weak in ourselves and our enemy is mighty. We take as our theme praying not to be led into temptation. Praying to our Father not to be led into temptation. And we look at that theme under three points. First, we look at the meaning. Second, we look at the need. And then third, we look at the answer. Sometimes there is a little bit of confusion about this petition. I think especially for us as children and young people, what does it mean that God would not lead us into temptation? Well, let's first get a few things clear about what we are not praying for, what this petition does not mean. First of all, in this petition, we are not praying that we would never be tempted. The fact is, temptations are a reality of this life, and we all know that. We've been looking at James recently. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. We are not praying here that we would be able to slide through life without experiencing any temptation. That's just not a reality. Now, ultimately, in this petition, we are praying that God would come quickly and bring us to glory. And in that sense, I suppose we are praying that God would deliver us from all temptation, take us to heaven where we will experience temptation no more, 
where there will be no more enticement to sin. And yet I hope we understand while we remain on this earth, we have our sinful natures, we live in the midst of a wicked world, the devil continues to roam about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, there will be temptations. And God uses our battles against temptations to test us and to make us stronger Christians and to strengthen our faith that we might grow in patience, so that patience might have a perfect work, that we might be spiritually mature. So in this petition, we are not praying that we would never be tempted. Second of all, in this petition, we are not implying that God Himself is the one who tempts us. That might be how it sounds, but that's not what it is. The fact is, God does, God does not tempt people to sin, as James writes. We'll look at that in our next sermon. God cannot be tempted, neither tempteth he any man. God tests his people, he tries his people, but God does not entice them to sin and make sin look attractive. Of course not. God is always the one who warns against sin, who commands us to flee from sin and eschew it with our whole heart. So in this petition, we are not praying that we would never be tempted, And we are not implying that God Himself is the one who tempts us to sin. Now, looking at that, having looked at that, in order to understand this petition properly, we need to remember and pay attention to a few important things. First, we need to pay attention to the language of this petition. Lead us not into temptation. The the language is not, do not tempt us. The language is, don't lead us into temptation. And that word lead means to carry into or to bring into. Father, do not carry us into temptation. We'll we'll explain that more fully in a moment. Second, we need to remember that God is the sovereign one. And God is in control of everything. He is in control of even all the temptations we face in life. Doesn't mean he's the one who's tempting us, but he is the sovereign God who is in control of every temptation we experience in life. Even even when we succumb to the temptation and fall into sin, God, God is the sovereign one. And third, we need to remember this. Without God's grace upholding us, we would immediately fall into sin. The fact is, God doesn't need to tempt us to sin in order for us to sin. All that needs to happen is for God to remove His sustaining hand from us for a moment, and we would immediately fall into sin. If God simply removes His grace from us for a moment, we would fall into temptation immediately. And so now we put all those things together, and the meaning of the sixth petition is this. Heavenly Father, do not carry us into a particular set of circumstances where we face temptation and then withhold thy grace from us and leave us to ourselves so that we have to fend for ourselves in the battle against sin. Because then we will surely fall into sin. Father, we ask, don't do that. 
Father, do not put me in a situation where I am left to myself to battle against temptation because then I will fall into sin. And Father, I don't want that. Father, do not hand us over into the power of the temptation. Rather, Father, when I experience temptation, preserve me and strengthen me by Thy Holy Spirit so that I endure, I persevere through the temptation, and I overcome it. Father, if it pleases Thee that I experience temptation from the devil, then give me also the grace needed to endure the temptation, to be exercised in my Christian faith in such a way that I am strengthened and that I even come forth stronger from the temptation than when I entered. Father, if it pleases Thee that my faith be tested and tried through a way of difficulty and hardship in my life, then in Thy mercy also preserve me so that I endure it and I don't fall, but instead I'm drawn to rely more and more entirely, more entirely on Thy strength and grace alone. As the Catechism puts it, you just have to read the answer. Since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand a moment, and besides this, since our mortal enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh cease not to assault us, do thou therefore preserve and strengthen us by the power of thy Holy Spirit that we may not be overcome in this spiritual warfare, but constantly, may strenuously and Uh, constantly and strenuously may resist our foes till at last we obtain a complete victory. And now as we consider all of this, there's something very important we have to acknowledge, and that is this. God is in control. God is in control of everything, even when we do fall into sin. He is sovereign over the temptations in our life. Now, that doesn't mean that He's responsible for our sin. We are definitely responsible for our sin. We know that. We experience that. Our sinful natures incline us to sin. But God is still in sovereign control. And so, He is also the one who is able to keep us from falling. He is the one who, with the temptation also makes a way of escape that we might endure it. And when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are praying, Lord, we ask, do not allow us to be given over to our sinful natures so that we, in our own sinful natures, choose the way of sin. Graciously strengthen our faith so that through faith we might act properly in the face of temptation. And now here's the important thing to understand. God teaches us to pray this because this is how God deals with us. This is how He's pleased to deal with us. He wants us to ask these things. He wants us to recognize Him in this way and give Him the glory in this way. To depend upon Him, seek Him, and experience who He is as our protecting and caring and faithful Father. And so, in the way of our asking, God is pleased to provide us what we need, and He grants this petition. He gives His grace and His Spirit only to those who with sincere desires continually ask them of Him 
and are thankful for them. Now, the meaning of this petition is powerfully illustrated for us in the life of the Apostle Peter as we look at it in Luke chapter 22. In the passage we read for the Scripture reading, Jesus is in the upper room with His disciples the night before His crucifixion. He has just finished celebrating the Lord's Supper with His disciples, and in verse 31, Jesus speaks a word of warning to Peter and to all the disciples. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, children, maybe you know what sifting is. Sifting was, is the activity uh, of uh, separating the, the grain of wheat from the chaff, from the straw. So a farmer in those days, this was one way, he would put wheat and chaff, he would put the wheat into a sieve, and then he would close the sieve, and he would violently shake that sieve back and forth in order to separate the grain from the straw. And so then the grain would fall to the bottom, the straw and the chaff would float to the top, and then the chaff would be blown off or skimmed off the top and discarded. And all that was left was the grain, the kernel. And what Jesus is telling his disciples is that Satan wants to put those disciples into a sieve and violently shake them back and forth. And Satan wants to so shake them so as to destroy them. He wants to so shake their faith and attack their faith so that they come to the conclusion that they are chaff and not wheat. And that they come to the conclusion ultimately that Jesus is not the Christ and they are not his true disciples. Satan wants to destroy them and shake them. And Satan wants to destroy their faith by having them go through this whole devastating experience of witnessing Jesus' betrayal in the garden, his arrest, and his crucifixion. And they come to the point where they are so offended with Jesus, so offended with his behavior, that they forsake him once and for all. Just as Judas Iscariot, in this very moment, in the night, was doing that very thing, being so offended at Jesus and forsaking him once and for all. Now, notice how Jesus puts it in verse 31. Satan hath desired to have you. Literally, the idea is this. Satan has demanded to have you. And the idea is this. Satan has gone to God. And just as Satan did with Job, he has asked God for permission to have the disciples that he might shake them violently. And that's what Satan does with Peter and the disciples in this night. He wants to destroy them so that they might curse God and die. In just the same way, he wanted to destroy Job. And you can almost imagine the scene. Jesus is sitting there around the table in the upper room with his 11 disciples. And there is Satan standing behind Peter and standing behind all the other disciples too, ready to destroy Peter's soul. He's already filled the heart of Judas Iscariot. He's already got Judas. He's on his way to the high priest right now. And Satan is wringing his hands, ready to destroy Peter too, one of the chief of the disciples. And again, notice how Jesus speaks to Peter. He says in verse 31, Behold, Simon, Simon, behold, Peter, 
Pay attention. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And then in verse 32, Jesus says, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And now all of that is weighty language. In the very language Jesus uses there in verse 32, Jesus is implying that Peter will fall. He's warning Peter beforehand, Peter, you will fall. And he says it more explicitly later on. Before the cock crow three times, or twice, you will deny me three times. And how does Peter respond? Verse 33, we read, And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And you see there how arrogant Peter was. Peter was not listening to the warning of Jesus. Peter thought he was ready. Peter evidently didn't need the warning of Jesus. Peter evidently didn't need the prayers of Jesus. No, everyone else might be offended of thee this night, but I won't. And then we read in the other accounts that the other disciples chimed in as well. And they said, no, Lord, we won't be offended at you either. We will all die with you. And the point of all of this is to say, Peter should have been praying the sixth petition. Peter should have been praying, Lord, don't leave me to myself. Lord, don't lead me into temptation. Lord, if I need to be tempted, then preserve me. Help me, Lord. Spare me so that I don't fall. The reality is, Peter should have been filled with a holy fear, a holy trembling, that except for the grace of God, he was capable of the greatest offenses. That's the meaning of this sixth petition. And that's the meaning of this sixth petition for us today as well. Because by nature, we are no different than who Peter was by nature. And so we also pray this petition with holy fear. We pray the fifth petition with holy sorrow and grief. And then we move on in our prayer and we pray the sixth petition with holy fear and trembling. I don't want to fall into sin, especially this sin that I've just fallen into and that I've had to confess. I hate sin. Sin is miserable. I've experienced this just now. Lord, I love thee. I want to honor thee and keep thy commandments. Keep thy servant from falling into sin. Lead me not into temptation. Don't leave me to myself. But if thou art pleased to test me and try me and lead me through a difficult way, then give me the grace to to endure and persevere in faith through to the end of the trial. That's what we're praying for. The reality is, the closer you walk with the Lord, the more you will properly fear temptation. And the further away you are walking from the Lord, the less you will fear temptation and the devil. Isn't that how it is? Ask yourself, I should ask myself, when have been the times that I have fallen into sin? Wasn't it exactly at that time when I wasn't afraid of the sin? Isn't that exactly how we're acting when, we're not, when we are committing the sin? 
There are those moments, even consciously for the child of God, where we make that choice to sin, to press on in sin. And we're showing ourselves to not be afraid of the sin. And it's because of our arrogance. We are so proud by nature. We think much too highly of ourselves. And that even comes out when we hear of other people falling into sin. And we say, what were they thinking? How stupid of them to do this. I wouldn't do such a stupid thing. And then we forget. Where's my fear and trembling? Because I hear these things, these people falling into sin, and if it were not for God's grace, I would be no different. We think much too highly of ourselves often. And oftentimes we think far too little of the devil and our sinful nature. And the problem is we don't know our need for the sixth petition. The need for this petition. The Catechism emphasizes that need of the sixth petition by mentioning two great realities. First, we are so weak. The Catechism says, we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand a moment. The Bible says, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. The preacher says, pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We become proud. We become wise in our own conceits. We stop listening to what others are telling us. We don't have a teachable spirit. And then what happens? God, even as our Father, leads us into temptation exactly so that we might have another lesson on just how weak we really are of ourselves. Sometimes we start acting as if we can handle the temptation. We act as if we know what we are doing. I can handle it, right? I can handle that bottle of liquor in the house. Even though it's the last bottle of wine on the shelf, I I can handle it. I got it. Even though I know it's a temptation, I lead myself into the temptation, but I can handle it. I know my limit. I can handle watching this TV show. I know that when they take God's name in vain, that it's sin, but I can handle it. God might not like it, but I can handle it. I can handle looking at that person with sexual lust. I know the boundary between what goes on in my mind and what I actually carry out in my flesh. I can start yelling angry words in the home. I can handle it. I can make sure that that this doesn't become a habit. I can flirt inappropriately with my coworker. I can take advantage of this person in my business dealing. I can handle it. No, we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand a moment. I need to pray. Lord, help me. I want to do what's right. Preserve me. Show mercy. If it be thy will, let this temptation pass from me. Nevertheless, if it be thy will, then at least preserve me through the temptation that I might not sin against thee. So first, we are so weak that we cannot stand for a moment in our own strength. We don't have any strength of ourselves. And that's how we live throughout the day. I don't have any strength of myself. And then second, we need to see our need in this way. The Catechism says, our enemy is so great. And besides this, since our mortal enemy is the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh, cease not to assault us 
And that's our threefold enemy. And what a trio they are. The devil, who has been studying the heart of man for 6,000 years, he knows how to play us like a fiddle. To the devil, you and I are as sitting ducks. That's who Judas Iscariot was. Apart from the grace of God, we have no defenses against the devil. The wicked world is also more powerful than we think. The world is always trying to shape our thinking and desensitize us to sin and redefine our standards of holiness so that the church's standard of holiness keeps going down and down and down. And, and it's the influence of the world. And when, it, when the world isn't effective anymore with that temptation, then the world will start threatening the church. And that's just another form, another kind of temptation. And then there's our own flesh. And perhaps that's the worst because that's inside us. The devil and the world have a friend, have an ally right in our own flesh. And our own sinful flesh has a way of deceiving us. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And all these three enemies are our mortal enemies. That is, their goal is to kill us. To kill who we are as Christians and children of God. And I think we see all of that in this passage in Luke chapter 2 with Peter. First, Peter didn't know just how weak he was. In fact, Peter thought he was the exception, didn't he? That's the language he uses. Others might be offended at you. I will never be offended at you. That's how it goes. We, we think we are the exception. In verse 32, Peter says, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Peter thought he was ready. But he wasn't. And then second, Peter underestimated his enemy. And he underestimated just how clever the devil was in this whole event. The devil is always three steps ahead. You think the devil is tempting you on this side? And surprise, surprise, he's already got you walking into the ditch on this side. Because of his distractions and the way he operates. With Peter, we see that in a couple of different ways. But I think we see that especially in how Satan plays off of Peter's confidence, his arrogance. In the upper room, Peter tells Jesus that he will never be offended at Jesus. And then what happens is this. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus tells Peter and James and John and the other disciples to pray. He tells them explicitly, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation and instead of heeding that word and praying, they fall asleep. Then the band of soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And Jesus says, whom seek ye? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let my disciples leave and go their way. And in that moment, Jesus was giving his disciples a way of escape out of this temptation. But then what happens? Well, Peter's full of arrogance and Peter steps up. He draws his sword and he says, Lord, I'm ready to fight. Just like I said I'd be ready to fight. He assaults the servant of the high priest, cuts off his ear, and Peter thinks he's all brave. But what he doesn't understand is that Satan in this whole event isn't concerned about a physical fight. Satan is aiming at Peter's soul, not his body. And then what happens? You go on. Jesus allows himself to be arrested. All the disciples are offended at him and run away. But what does Peter do? 
Peter kind of lingers and he starts following from a distance. He doesn't encourage the other disciples to stick together. He doesn't give them a a time of prayer together to think about what they should do next. No, in his self-confidence, he starts following Jesus from afar off. And where does he end up? He ends up exactly in the place where his faith is going to be even more attacked. He ends up in the palace of the high priest. Peter, perhaps with John, through John, gains entrance into the palace of the high priest. And there in the middle of the night, Peter finds himself standing by a fire, warming his hands, surrounded by whom? By the very soldiers who had just arrested Jesus. And you can well imagine that these soldiers are not just talking about Jesus, but they are mocking Jesus through and through, laughing and scorning, as you can imagine soldiers would do, and mocking his disciples. What pathetic people. Did you see them? Did you see that disciple who tried to swipe off Malchus's head? He doesn't even know how to handle the sword. And what has happened to Peter? Peter has ended up right in the lion's den, right in the trap of the devil. There is Peter, the precious child of God, standing around a campfire in the company of ungodly men. Maybe they all have their beers in their hands. Maybe they're all having a jolly good time talking around the campfire. And there is Peter, the child of God, sitting in the midst of the group, in a place he has no business being. On a feast day, No less. And what happens? A woman points to Peter and says, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And Peter says, no, I don't know the man. What are you talking about? And then we read that another woman in the group turns and says to Peter, you are one of Jesus' disciples. And this woman tells the soldiers, this man Peter is one of the disciples. And then we read that one of the soldiers turns to Peter. This is a, a parallel account. And what's interesting is that this soldier around the campfire is the very brother of Malchus, whose ear Peter has cut off. And this soldier turns to Peter and says, Yes, you are one of Jesus' disciples. I saw you with my own eyes in the garden. And now perhaps Peter is not just uncomfortable, but Peter is getting a little afraid. After all, Peter could now be charged for assaulting a servant of the high priest. Potentially, Peter could be punished with the death sentence and crucified on a cross. You see, Peter is getting scared for his own life. And Peter says, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And to prove it, Peter goes ahead and takes God's name in vain. And suddenly, Peter, hanging out with these soldiers by the fire, is now trying to hide his Christian identity and act just like one of them. You can understand how these things go, can't you? And then an hour later, we read that another person comes and says, you are one of Jesus' disciples because I recognize your accent. You are a Galilean. And what does Peter do? In order to save his life, he chooses to lie as forcefully as as he can. And we read that with cursing and swearing, taking God's name in vain, Peter denies that he knows Jesus. And as soon as he finishes speaking, what happens? 
There is Jesus being led from one room to another. The eyes of Jesus and the eyes of Peter meet as Jesus is passing by. Peter, it suddenly hits him just how shameful and offensive his sin is. And he runs out of the courtyard and he bursts into tears. And all the while, Peter thought he was ready for Satan's wiles. He was ready to pick up the sword. He was ready to fight. He was ready to die for Jesus. And all the while, Satan said, Peter, I don't want your body. I want your soul. I want your spiritual life. And, in, and what happens? In order to preserve his own life, rather than die for Jesus, he denies Jesus and takes God's own name in vain. And in the whole process, he shows all of us just how weak we are and how powerful our mortal enemies are. Good thing, we might say from our perspective, to say it colloquially, good thing Jesus had prayed for him, that his faith fail not. And if we were to stand back and look at this event from one more angle, what we can also emphasize is this. And this is something we all need to appreciate more and more. Your Savior, your King, Jesus Christ, is not attractive to the flesh. Jesus is not attractive to the flesh, beloved, and yet we so desperately want Him, as Peter did. We so desperately want Him to be attractive to the flesh. Why did Peter fall in this event? Exactly because he was being ruled by his flesh. And Jesus... And the way that Jesus looked that night, the way Jesus behaved himself that night, was offensive to the flesh. Look at what he does. He tells Peter to put away his sword. But I'm ready to fight for you, Jesus. He allows the band of soldiers to arrest him. He doesn't defend himself at all. And from Peter's point of view, it's as if Jesus is picking and choosing all the wrong battles to fight. And Peter is flabbergasted. Peter is offended and it's in that offended spirit that he ends up at the fire in the palace of the high priest. That's my savior. That's my friend. He doesn't even stand up to fight with his own disciples by his, by his side. His own disciples who are ready to, to live for him and die for him. And this is the thanks we get. That now these wicked soldiers are mocking us. And Peter, one of the disciples, even one of the leaders, maybe the chief of the disciples, falls into deep, shameful sin. He was warned, but he didn't heed the warning. He was taught to pray the sixth petition, but he didn't. And of all the disciples, Peter's fall was the greatest. And now if we look at ourselves for a moment, Briefly, we can see we're no different than Peter, are we? If that was me, and now I hear how it went, I see how I could have done the exact same thing Peter did. Maybe I have. Maybe I have. It happened almost predictably, didn't it? It's like a parent telling their child, this is, I'm warning you, don't do that, don't go there tonight, don't act foolishly. Pray, watch and pray that you don't enter temptation. And it happens. Satan tempts us to deny Jesus. 
The world tempts us to be offended at what the Bible teaches. Our own flesh tempts us to be deeply ashamed at how the Bible calls us to live. When everyone else seems to be indulging the flesh. And the life that Jesus calls us to live is a life that doesn't appeal to the flesh. And it's a life that's attacked on so many angles by so many enemies. Beloved, this is why people leave the church. Because this and and this and, and everything about the Christian life doesn't appeal to their flesh. Their flesh is lustful. Their flesh is bitter. Their flesh is carefree. Their flesh is arrogant. And the things of God set forth here in church don't appeal to the flesh. And they are offended and they walk away. And Jesus teaches us in the sixth petition, you, you must pray. You need to pray, lead me, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then we must actually live our lives consistent with that desire. There is no sin that we are not capable of committing. You and I are not the exception, beloved. It's only God's amazing grace that makes the difference. You, you, I'm going to put this this way, you, child of God, in your own life right now, need to watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. But then Jesus also says, when you pray, God will answer. For the sake of Jesus Christ, God will certainly hear this petition as He has promised in His Word. Because Jesus died for our sins. And because even now Jesus is our mediator, He makes intercession for us, and He's praying that our faith fail not. And because God is, for the sake of Jesus, our God and Father, He will hear our cries. And He will help. And He will preserve in the time when you need help. After all, God is the sovereign one. Sin is not the sovereign one. Sin is not the almighty one. Satan is not the almighty one. Satan has to submit to the sovereignty of God. God is almighty. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. In Jesus Christ, we already have the victory over sin and the devil. God answers this prayer, beloved. That's why he teaches us to pray it. Prayer itself is the way God answers this prayer. What is prayer? But, but reaching out to God, drawing near unto God, looking to God. And you see, Satan's whole point is, is to try to get you away from God, keep distance between you and God. And in prayer, we cling to God. And in the way of prayer, God is pleased to keep us from falling. He gives us more of His Spirit. He gives us more of His grace. He gives us the means of grace. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. He joyfully gives His grace and His Spirit to those who have a sincere desire for His grace and Spirit and who are continually thankful for His grace and Spirit. And then when you think about it, hasn't God been answering this prayer your whole life long since you've been a Christian? Just think, how many times already in your life has not God preserved you from falling away? You can look back on your life so far, and I can too, and we can say, I could have fallen away from the Lord at this time. 
and I had a powerful temptation. I could have fallen away from the Lord this time, and maybe I fell into the temptation, and I could have completely fallen away. But the Lord preserved. And then this was a strong temptation, but the Lord, I prayed, and in the way of prayer, the Lord did strengthen me, and I experienced that strength and that overcoming of sin. I prayed this sixth petition, and again and again, so often, even without us fully recognizing it, God is preserving us so that we're not overcome in the spiritual warfare. Through all the ups and downs of your life, God is answering this prayer. Sometimes even leading us through the valley, through the trial, God is preparing us so that when the bigger thing comes, there will be that strength of faith that He has worked in us to preserve, to persevere and endure through the trial. God knows what He's doing, even with the trial. And then through the trial, we continue to seek His grace to preserve us and protect us. Pray this petition, beloved. You know the forgiveness of sins. You know the the misery of sin. You hate your sin. You don't want to do it again. This gives expression to that desire. Pray this petition, and the Lord will give you your heart's desire. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for teaching us how to pray Lord, give us thy spirit and thy grace that we might take up this gift zealously and we might wrestle with thee in prayer even every day again for thy blessing and thy protection. And then may we experience thy answer, thy faithfulness and thy mercy in the way of protecting us and strengthening us in the battle against sin. Bless this preaching to our hearts and to our lives. Quicken our prayer lives even by this preaching. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.